Good morning and welcome to each one of you that have come out this morning to worship. Have you ever thought about yourself as having divine appointments with God? I, I sometimes think we, we think of those as, as being very unique or specific or some, some um, large event in life. Something that's dramatic or that will be remembered for a long, long time. But um, I don't think that's the case. I think God's appointments with life happen on a pretty regular basis. And even in the mundane and the, and the normal and the practical and even here this morning, I don't think any one of us, for whatever reason you may have shown up to church this morning, you're experiencing a divine appointment with God in this very moment for whatever reason he has planned for you. And I want you to realize that, not for your own benefit, not for your own purposes, but for God's glory. This morning I want to share a little bit with you um, about some lessons that I learned while reading about Jehoshaphat and in experiencing our cat Caroline. We'll see if we can't combine those a bit. I, I now affectionately refer to her as the concrete kitty Caroline. <clears throat> and I thought about that a little bit because every day we live our lives is, is a bit of a, a record. And sometimes we, we try to, to rewrite history. You know, that's kind of a popular thing today. But we can't deny our past, we can't ignore our past. And in many respects, we can't change our past. We may even resent some things about our past, but God can redeem whatever that is. And sometimes, you know, we want a, a, a second chance in life. And, and we look around for those second chances. We, we look to people. Uh, we look around to maybe our work. We look even here in church. We look for those things that can give us a second chance. Or sometimes we look inside of us for that second chance. For, uh, we choose to, to be motivated or, or to work a lot or, or to make ourselves into a new person. Um, but we're not going to find it outside of us and we're not going to find it inside of us. The only place we can find an ability for a second chance is when we look up because God gives us that second chance. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So if you're looking for renewal this morning, there's only one place that we can find that, and, and that is by looking up. And so how did I affectionately come to term our cat the concrete kitty Caroline? Well, this Friday we were pouring some concrete, and, and we got nearly done, and, and I had some help there, and we'd put a, a brush finish on, the, on it, and, and literally, like, Ten yards of concrete, all perfectly finished, and, and here comes concrete Kitty Caroline. And it was kind of cute the first time, because she very carefully crossed, and I thought, well, that's that. I mean, you know, what's a few paw prints in, a, in concrete? It's not that big a deal. And, but she, she wasn't done. And she came back and, and as at one point jumped from a log and landed on the edge of the concrete. And now the paw prints weren't just cute little things. They were dramatic. And I thought, oh, well... You know, hey, it's just Paul Prince. I, you know, I can live with that. We can kind of finish off the edge and we'll be okay. But she wasn't done yet. And she walked across, and I, I took one step toward her at one point and bounded off across it again and started leaving a little more dented impressions on concrete that was literally, at that point, there wasn't much you could do. And, and I went from being slightly, I don't know, humored by the situation to kind of having that irking feeling lurking up inside of me 
And I thought about that as, as, you know, as we walk through our lives, things happen. And some things you can patch and in the moment repair, but there's other things that happen. And, and for as long as that concrete's there, we're going to know a cat showed up that day. That's just the way it's going to be. That is the fact of the matter. And, but I thought, thought about that. As we look back on our lives, you know, there's the present life that in many respects you can repair and change and apologize and, and fix things in life, but there's things about life that it's set, and it is what it is, and it's not going to change, and yet God can redeem even those things. We have those concrete paths in our back that we love to walk back across it because it's pretty, and then there's paths we don't like to walk across because it's ugly, but it's the way it is. And so let's look a little bit in Second Chronicles 17 at the story of Jehoshaphat and some of the things that he experienced. And yes, that's the Old Testament. I remember being a teenager reading what I thought was Second Chronicles, and it was Corinthians. So the Chronicles is in the left side of the Bible, not the right side. Second Chronicles chapter 17. I'm just going to read the first four verses here. It says this, And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his stead and strengthened himself against Israel. And the, he placed forces in all the fenced cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. And the Lord was with Jehosh Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David. And he sought not unto Balaam, but sought unto the Lord God of his father and walked in his commands, not after the doings of Israel." And so I just the simple lesson I wanted out as we start to just look at a few lessons out of Jehoshaphat is this, that God is found by seekers and walks with walkers. In other words, you, you look at these, these various kings, and there were those that, that sought after God and those that turned away from God. And it says here, um, verse 3, it says the Lord was with him because he walked in the first ways of his father David. And so I thought about that in our lives you know, what are the things that we're seeking after? What are the paths we're walking on? Where is it that we dwell our hearts and our minds? Is it the pretty places? Is it the places that God has touched in our lives? Or is it the ugly places? Is that where our heart is dwelling? You know, God has a chance. God has a chance to redeem that. A couple more lessons here from Jehoshaphat. Um, here in chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. And, and this was uh, some of the decrees that Jehoshaphat sent out. And it says that they taught in Judah, these men that he sent out. And they had books of the law of the Lord with them. And went about throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell upon the kingdoms of the land that were round about Judah. So they made no war against Jehoshaphat. And I thought about this, you know, we come together in a setting like this, whether it's Sunday school or, or uh, Sunday school opening or our main service like this, and we come to, to sing and, and, and teach and pray. But in many respects, almost always we're sitting under some form of a, of a teacher. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that particularly, except as we'll see in a minute here, uh, just because they were taught well and they, they listened to what they were told, unless they take it into their hearts, unless I take it into my heart, unless you take it into your heart, the teaching isn't worth a whole lot. In other words, Jehoshaphat had an experience with God and it changed him and he wanted to change the people around him and he tried and he attempted to, but in our own lives we have to experience it for ourselves. Second Chronicles chapter 18, verses 3-6. through six. 
Jehoshaphat did some things that were right, and he did some things that were very questionable. And we're going to be, uh, read about an alliance he had with the king Ahab. Starting in verse 3, it says, And Ahab, king of Israel, said unto Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered him, I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and we will be with thee in war, in the war. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Therefore the king of Israel gathered together the prophets four hundred men, and said unto them, Shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for God will deliver it in the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we may inquire of him? And I was thinking about this and the concept of, of, of who are we going to battle with would be one question, okay? Uh, picking uh, alliances kind of matters in life. But secondly, and I think more importantly, who did they consult? In other words, who, who were their advisors? And you see here a contrast between these two men. Um, Ahab, he just simply wanted someone to tell him what he wanted to hear. And, and you know, when you do that, numbers kind of matter. And so he went out and he got, what was it, 400, I think it was? And it's a little hard to, to buck against the system when you've got 400 people all agreeing on something. You know, the, the peer pressure that comes with that is enough to sway most people. And in this case, the king was satisfied. We're good to go. Because he had someone, not someone, someones that agreed with him. But Jehoshaphat wasn't pleased with that because he understood where it was coming from. And he said, I just want one man of God. And I thought about that in my own heart. Where is it that I go for peace? Where is it that I go for advice? You know, too often it's real easy to just to go with the crowd because after all, they all agree, right? But what Jehoshaphat wanted was one man of God. Just one man to know the truth because it doesn't really matter what the crowd says if they're wrong. Now I'm going to read the passage that's most common that we think of Jehoshaphat and the story of him. And maybe I'll, I'll uh, slightly paraphrase here and read just the core of it. In, in chapter 20 is the story of when they send out all the singers. And there was a man, not Jehoshaphat, but one of his uh, men that stood up, uh, chapter 20, verse 15, when they were discussing this situation that they were facing, which was insurmountable. And he says this, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat, Thus saith the Lord unto thee, Be not afraid or dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is yours, is not yours, but God's. And I have to think about it in my own heart, in my mind, in my life. Too often I will pick up the battle myself and try to carry that. Um, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And our reliance must be on God to fight those battles and if you're familiar with the story, you'll realize um, verse 22 is the conclusion of this. I'm just kind of skipping here down through. Read this. You'll enjoy the story. But in verse 22 of chapter 20, it says, And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, he set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Zir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. In other words, when they relied upon God and not their own strength, it was at that moment that God met their, ne their needs.
The last lesson I wanted to bring out here was at near the end here of chapter 20, and this is what I was speaking of earlier. Um, let's read. Um, well, let's just start at 29. It says, The fear of the Lord was on the kingdoms of those countries. When they had heard, the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 30 and 5 years old when he, when he began to reign. He reigned 20 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Uzabah, and the daughter of Shili. And he walked in the way of Asa's father and departed not from it, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Howbeit, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not prepared their hearts unto the God of their fathers. And I guess that was the, the verse I was looking for there. Because too often we will look for alternatives to finding peace. And we'll look inside or we'll look outside, but we need to look up. For, for God is the only one that can actually provide us peace for our hearts for today and for tomorrow. And so as I think about the life that we live and the, the, the path that we're walking on, if you will, and, and the concrete's hardening behind us as we go and, and we've got it ahead of us, there's going to be times when Caroline, the, uh, the kitty concrete Caroline, shows up and just kind of wrecks things uh, and destroys it. And, and there are times when I just kind of brush that off and go, oh, that's cute, you know, that's okay. And there's other times that stirs up in me a response that's not pretty. And so I ask the question, where is my peace coming from? Is it from God or is it from somewhere else? Do I look for peace from, from inside of me? Do I look for peace from outside of me? Or do I look for peace from above me? So we will take some prayer requests this morning. Obviously, as it's already been uh, mentioned this morning or, and prayed for, uh, the, the missionaries in, in Haiti are still uh, being held, uh, last we know. Um, I think we, uh, obviously, the offering this morning is to benefit Brad and Crystal. We should continue to remember them in prayer. They're going through a lot of effort right now um, in transitioning several families in, a lot of stress involved in that. Um, I also had, uh, forget, forgot to mention uh, last Sunday, and I'll mention it now, some of you have asked about my brother Tim. Uh, he had a test here about 10 days ago, and it appears that his um, tumor is gone in his throat. And so that is a very good thing. Um, he continues to deal with a number of issues, so it's not by any means over for him. Um, but in that regard, uh, I think some of our prayers uh, have been answered are there any other prayer requests here this morning? And Andrew, I'll ask you to pray for us this morning. Okay. Yes, yeah, so the prayer requests were, uh, just remember, uh, Sam is, he is, is home now, and obviously for the leadership weekend coming up uh, next weekend out in Pennsylvania. Any other prayer requests this morning? If not, let's go to prayer.
Good morning. We're so glad for the opening this morning of Sunday School and the opening just now from Brother Zach as Brother Zeb opened this morning. He was speaking of the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. And uh, I felt like, as, as Zach talked about, the divine appointments that here, come to church, I've got something the Lord has put on my heart. And a brother opens up the Sunday School with something that is so directly connected. <clears throat> but divine appointments occur to everybody. Today's title, Simon the Cyrenian, witnessed Jesus. He had a divine appointment. He didn't know anything about it. Walking through the streets of Jerusalem. So this is what we kind of know about Simon the Cyrenian. He was the one who what? He was compelled to carry the cross of Jesus Christ. Had no idea that's what was going to happen. Walking through the streets, going maybe to the temple to come in because <clears throat> he was a Jew and it was Passover. And he turns a corner and a Roman soldier grabs him. 
a divine appointment for Simon the Cyrenian. <clears throat> we think about someone like Simon, and uh, right away, you probably heard this lesson created or talked about that, that, that Simon was a, it was a type of, of, the cro- of the cross that every one of us needs to take up and carry, the cross of Christ. And Simon the Cyrene, was, he was that person, it was that word picture that was created. And pretty much, it kind of ends right there. There isn't a whole lot more to say about Simon the Cyrenian. But is there? Allow me, to, let's just jump into the book of Acts for a little bit. Let's set some, some groundwork. Let's set some context to try to understand about who Simon was and, and how he may have been involved in a n- number of different things. Now, today you're going to have to give me some, a lot of grace. I'm going to try to say, say some things that I'm going to surmise. I'm going to uh, imagine based on the circumstances, the circumstantial evidence. And so I'll try to make sure that you, I say that and I preface it by saying maybe or perhaps. But if I don't always say that, I want you to be students of the Bible enough that I'm going to give you some things in the Bible and I'm going to surmise some other things here. Sometimes I'm going to be speaking as Simon the Cyrenian. Sometimes I might be speaking as a Roman soldier. But most of all, I'm speaking as a man <clears throat> And I'm just like you. And we all had a divine appointment with Simon that day. Open up in the book of Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at a few things in the book of Acts. Now keep in mind, the book of Acts is the history of the beginning of the church, the time, the days just after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you have the Gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all giving you uh, description of the death and the resurrection and the days following of Jesus Christ. He spent about 40 days after his death and then he rose again. And it tells us in the book of Acts, as it opens up here, we are at Pentecost, which means we're 50 days from the time of Passover. So Jesus died and rose again and then there was about 40 days that he was witnessed to be upon the earth, resurrected, And about a week or 10 days after that was Pentecost. And the book of Acts opens. And you have, in the second chapter of Acts, you have the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the believers who were gathered together. And then they go out and begin to preach. And you get down into verse 10. And they're listing. They're so amazed because here this, this Peter is speaking and he's speaking, he's being heard in all these different tongues and they're listing out all the different places that people are from who are listening with different languages. And it says in verse 10, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in parts of Libya about Cyrene. Now, I made a very simple drawing up here to help us understand where Cyrene is. And you have Egypt, and in today's world we have Libya, and Alexandria is a Greek colony. Cyrene is also another Greek colony. So you have very Greek-speaking people, but over a period of time, a lot of Jewish people had moved to Alexandria, and a lot of Jewish people had moved to Cyrene, and many other places 
that were Roman colonies or Greek colonies. And as the whole region was originally Greek, but then was overtaken by the Romans, but you have all these places where Jews had went to and it produced Jewish centers. But what would happen is that there would come a generation that would say, I want to go to Jerusalem. And maybe they hadn't been there before. Simon of Cyrene maybe was one of those that left Cyrene. He wanted to go where there's real Jews and go to Jerusalem and really experience Judaism. And so he's there and maybe has been living there for a period of time. It says he came out of the country that day when he met Jesus. So turn to chapter 6. Chapters 6 and 7. I'm not going to read all of this, but I'll just kind of brief it to you a little bit. Chapter 6 and 7, you have a description of the tremendous growth of the church. Back where we were just reading in chapter 2, it says at the end of that sermon that 3,000 people believed and came into the church. Massive explosion of the church on the day of Pentecost. And so these people were there in Jerusalem. They were mostly Jews who had been in synagogues and in close connection with Judaism, but now they also believed Christianity, believed Jesus Christ. And you have all of this explosion of the church going on. And chapter 6 is talking about, and in those days when the number of the disciples, this is verse 1, the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And then you have the appointment or election of seven deacons to help take care of that situation. And out of that group of seven was one named Stephen. They're all named, but Stephen is listed here as one of the seven who were chosen. It says in verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and the other six are named. Then, going down to verse 7, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now you can begin to see a recipe for conflict and difficulty. This church, this Christian group, these believers in Jesus Christ who had risen again from the dead are being pulled, coming out of all the synagogues in Jerusalem. Even the priests, a great number of priests were believing in Jesus Christ and were pulling out of their synagogues and meeting with the Christians in Jerusalem by the thousands. That's a recipe for conflict. Next verse. In verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then, here is the conflict, occurs. Here is the episode. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Now, when you read... That verse, talking about the synagogue of the, of the Libertines, and in other path, maybe your Bible says the synagogue of the freed men. I think the New King James will say that. The synagogue of the freed men. And I, as I first read this, I thought, well, this, this synagogue also had people from 
Cyrene and Alexandria and Asia and, and everything that's, that's listed here. <clears throat> but as we studied this a little bit, we find out this is the description that there were men who were from three different synagogues. They were all Jews. And they, had, they were sort of like, uh, one was called the synagogue of the freedmen, the libertines. These were men who had come from Rome. People who were the descendants of Jews that were hauled off to Rome as slaves like 600 years no, 60-some years before that, and maybe this was the next generation that had grown up, and, they, and they're either their father had become freed or they became freed. And when you become a freed man in Rome, you have this, the rights of a Roman citizen. You're allowed to travel. That was one of the big things. And so these people would have gotten the idea of, I want to know what it's really like to be a Jew. I want to, I want to be at the temple. I want to temp, be involved in temple worship. And so they traveled, and they ended up in Jerusalem, and they had a synagogue because they all shared that same experience. And they kind of lived around each other, and they went to synagogue together. And there was another group of men from Cyrene and Alexandria in northern Africa who shared the same kind of experience. They also grew up with the thought, if you really want to be a Jew, you should go to Jerusalem. And so at some point, Simon, a Cyrenian, took his whole family and they moved to Jerusalem and they were living somewhere outside <coughs> of Jerusalem because these people would gather together in a synagogue, the ones of Cyrene and Alexandria. And there was another group of people that were from Asia and <coughs> up in this vicinity in Cilicia because Tarsus was the main city of a little region in southeast, what we call Turkey today. Cilicia is right here, Tarsus being the main city. This is also known as Asia Minor in the Bible. We know it as Turkey today. And so you had the people <clears throat> who were from this Cilicia and Asia. They had a shared experience. They would come here. They want to be a Jew. They want to be a real Jew. They have their own synagogue and the ones from northern Africa would have their own synagogue, and the ones from Rome had their own synagogue, they all shared a certain kind of experience that I really want to be a Jew, and it is important to me to go and to be at the temple and to be participate in those things. And so these people were fanatical. Now, do you know how chapter 7 ends? It ends with the stoning of Stephen. And the men who stoned him laid their garments at the feet of Saul. It is very strongly believed that Saul was of the temple of Asia, Cilicia. This was his hometown. And all these people shared a similar kind of thinking. And knowing Paul's char Saul's character, he may have been an influence on the people in all three of those synagogues. And you know what, what was happening there? He was one who was taking orders. He was taking papers and he was arresting people, these, these, Jew, these Jews that had become Christians. And he was, he was agreeing with the stoning of this Stephen. Maybe he instigated it. But he had a deep influence over people from all these different places who had a fanaticism to be a Jew. And the pressure was on. Because all these people were becoming believers in Jesus Christ. And so it was either, either you're going to believe what Jesus Christ is saying, and, and the fact that they say he rose from the dead, you're going to believe that, or you're going to follow the traditions. And some became believers, and others became more fanatical in following their traditions.
That's the atmosphere that is going on as the young church, the early church is trying to grow and so forth, but the pressure was on. And this is some of the pressure that came upon them <clears throat> through the men who met Stephen here, who eventually in the end of chapter 7 stone him to death. Saul is there. And it even next chapter 8 begins, and Saul was consenting unto his death, and it goes on, talks about how he got papers and he would go and arrest people and so forth. So that was the, the situation, the pressure that was on the early church right there. I want you to hold your place in Acts, but just turn to Philippians for just a moment. Philippians chapter 3, Paul, writing to the Philippians, says this about himself. Philippians 3, 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He's talking about himself, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, <clears throat> persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. See, there's the fanaticism that Saul epitomized, but he made it had a tremendous influence over all these other people who had grown up in foreign countries who were Jewish, and they came back to Israel either for just the feast or they were living there, and they were attending these sort of regionalized synagogues because they shared their experience of where they came from. In that context, let's go to what if here. Perhaps Simon the Cyrene was in the synagogue of the Cyrenes and Alexandrians. I cannot say that for sure. But that is a possibility. That's where he would have went to worship. There may have been friends, there may have been family who were also there. He may have, Simon may have come under the influence of Saul. Now, there's a thought I'd never thought about before until I was studying this, that Saul was a contemporary to Simon, and they may have, may have walked together, may have went to synagogue on Saturdays together, and Simon may have really taken in Saul's influence. <clears throat> At least until the day that he witnessed by divine appointment Jesus the Christ. Now, if you're back in Acts, let's turn back to Acts chapter 11. There's a few more scriptures here I'd like to go to, to, to lay this groundwork, to lay this context of the who, what, when, and where of Simon the Cyrene. So Acts chapter 11, you have here, we're going to pick it up in verse 19. And if you read through the whole chapter, chapter 11 is going through this vision that Peter had about the, 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 the cloths that were let down with, and so forth. But uh, we're going to pick it up in chapter nine, verse 19 of chapter 11. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen... 
I think I'd said that wrong. No, that was the, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to not get myself confused here. It was the vision that it was having with the, the vessels of the animals in the sheets and so forth. Okay, verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. <coughs> That's significant. Persecution became so great under Saul's influence, but maybe many other people as well, that people began to leave Jerusalem. The church was centered there. Thousands of people were part of that church in Jerusalem. But they began to realize, we need to get out of here. <laughs> Some of them went back to where they came from. Some of them went to new places, but they got out of there. And it tells us here <clears throat> that this, this persecution arose and people started scattering. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And so here we have mentioned <clears throat> Cyprus was an island, and Antioch is a town that's about 200 miles north of Jerusalem. And so some of these people, when they scattered, they went as much as 200 miles up there. Some of them went, maybe they lived in Cyprus, they went on to Phoenicia. <clears throat> and it says that they were preaching the word, but they were preaching unto the Jews only who lived at Antioch. Now catch that, that thought, but let's go on. <clears throat> Verse 20, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So he had some people that would go there at Antioch, and they were preaching only to Jews. And then you had some who were from Cyprus and from Cyrene, who were Greek-speaking. And they would go and speak to the Greek people who, who also were, or the Greek-speaking people, and they were preaching the word of God in the... the the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the church was exploding in Antioch. Perhaps Simon the Cyrene took his family. He had done this before. He had moved from Cyrene and went to Jerusalem, and he once again picked up his family, his wife and his two sons, Rufus and Alexander, and the Bible tells us that, and moved them up to Antioch, and maybe he and his sons were part of the ones that were preaching unto the Greek-speaking people. And it, Bible, it goes on in the verses here and says that Barnabas was sent there from Jerusalem and he saw the amazing things that were happening and he blessed what was happening in the church. And then he went on over to Tarsus to look for Saul. In between here in these chapters, Saul was converted. And he left and he went back to his home city. And Barnabas was up here and he said, I'm going to go get Saul. And he goes over here by land or sea or however he got there. And he finds Saul and he brings him back to Antioch. And Barnabas and Saul spend one year at Antioch preaching the word of God, both Jews and unto the Greeks that are there. Was Simon and his family there? There's one other thing I'll get to in just a minute that may put some light on that. <clears throat> You also know that it's, it's mentioned in this chapter that they were first known as Christians at Antioch. It was an amazing thing. 200 miles was far enough away to slow down that pressure that was in Jerusalem. So, <clears throat> let's go on to Romans chapter 16. I'll just read this to you. Romans 16, 13. This is at the end of the book of Romans Paul writing a letter to the church at Rome, he said this 
in all of his list of people that he was acknowledging or praising or, or just talking about, he says, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Now, it wasn't his mother physically, but that's an affectionate term. He had spent, if this was the same Rufus, son of Simon, Alexander we're not sure about, and his mother is now in Rome, over here. And Paul later writing in the book of Romans says, salute Rufus, chosen of the Lord, and his mother and mine. Tremendous affection for that, that woman and for, and for Rufus, but also an acknowledgement of God's hand that was upon Rufus. And maybe he had been one who was preaching in Antioch, but now he, years later he's over in Rome, in the church of Rome. And Paul is acknowledging that. Traditions say, and I, and I don't know how to, how to verify that, tradition says that Simon the Cyrene was martyred in Rome. Well, it may be that he packed up his family once again and moved in the work at the Roman church. <clears throat> now, that's the introduction, and we're really out of time. <laughs> oh, my. Um, Okay. <clears throat> Thinking just for a little bit, and I'm going to cut this short. Thinking for a little bit in the Gospels. And I'm looking at a Bible now that has all four Gospels laid horizontally and parallel to each other. And so we have three passages where Simon the Cyrene is mentioned. On the day when he was walking down this narrow street... And in, in the Catholic tradition, the, the Via Della Rosa is an extremely narrow little stone street with stone buildings rising up just a few feet away, <clears throat> and it winds through these buildings. And, and here Simon and his wife and his boys, they come and they turn a corner, and they're caught in a mass of people and Roman soldiers, and obviously there's crosses and men going to their crucifixion, and a Roman guard grabs him, says, here, you carry this. This guy is so Far gone, he can't carry his own cross. Well, you can't say no to a Roman soldier. <clears throat> and in Mark, it says the same kind of a thing. It was one Simon the Cyrenian coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, it says very specifically here. This was the man, and he was compelled to bear the cross of Christ. And in Luke it says, And they led him away, and they laid upon him one Simon of Cyrene, and coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Now, as you know, there were seven statements of Christ upon the cross, and I intended to go through all of those, but let's just go to the first, the first part of this. Because you always wondered... Simon carried that cross, <clears throat> the weight of it, the blood that was on it. Jesus was so lashed and so bleeding, and blood was coming out of his head and his back and everywhere in his body, and that cross would have been covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. And Simon carried that for him. But then what happened? What happened that day? 
in Simon's witness of Jesus. When they got to Golgotha, the Roman soldiers had a job to do. <clears throat> they were busy and they, were, they were, <clears throat> didn't waste any time at all. They had something to do. Their job was to kill these guys, crucify them, and then wait there until they died. <clears throat> and it didn't take them long to get the business started. They went after each one. and <clears throat> Father, forgive them. For they know not what, they don't even understand what they're doing. <clears throat> Maybe Simon also noticed the sign that was attached to that cross. That was the indictment of the reason he was being crucified. He was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That was the reason he was being crucified. And it was in Greek, and it was in Latin, and it was in Hebrew. <clears throat> but there was the indictment. Maybe at that moment he realized, oh, this is Jesus. Maybe before they didn't know, the man was so ripped apart, he didn't recognize him. But he heard that voice, and he saw that sign. This is Jesus. This is the Jesus that I heard up in Galilee. Maybe he had heard Jesus speak. Maybe he had seen those miraculous healings, and he'd heard him prophesy about his death and his resurrection, and this is his death. And probably the most astounding thing is that in the moment of that action, Jesus wants to forgive these ones that were driving him to the cross. That day, <clears throat> Jesus witnessed, or Simon witnessed Jesus. And every one <clears throat> of these statements that Jesus made, maybe Simon was there, maybe he couldn't pull away, and he, he was there for hours. And he come from that, all that background of the fanaticism of wanting to be ultimate, the ultimate Jew. And yet, he could not resist what he had heard before and what he was witnessing right now. I just, <clears throat> the point of today's message is that each of us would be like Simon in the sense of truly witnessing who Jesus is and what he did and what he was expressing in forgiveness and the granting of eternal life and just the whole idea of caring about people and, and, of, and of being the one that finished it all. And maybe Simon witnessed all of that. Each one of us needs to be a witness of that. To not just skip over it or read it quickly, but to dwell there and to understand what Jesus Christ did for you and I. <clears throat> Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you were prophesied for, and you 
have a destiny and you have plans for this world and for each of us yet in the future. Oh, Father God, we thank you that in all of these things that you, that you love us and you provided all we need for eternal life, help us, Father, to not ignore you, but to be willing to come to you and to pour out ourselves and to yield ourselves unto you. Oh, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this moment in the word of God. Pray your blessing upon it in the hearts that are here. We, Father, we extend again a prayer for those who are being held captive, that you'll be with them and you'll enrich their spirits and you'll protect them. And we just pray for deliverance from this situation that they're in. Father, be with them. We thank you, Lord, that this day is a day of your appointment, that we could be here today to hear this word that you have preserved for us, that it might affect us. Father, help us to not be complacent, but to have a fervor and have a desire to live for you because eternity is all that counts. Father, we also know that there is a meal prepared. We pray your blessing upon that meal and the fellowship time together. Pray your blessing upon each one that's here. In Jesus' name, amen.